This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. It's like your parents telling you that you can open up all your Christmas gifts on Christmas Eve. That's right. It is a one day early edition, episode 243. Of the Down and Nerdy Podcast, I'm James Witham, and here's the reason for that. You get the Game Awards that are going on tonight, December the 6th, at least that's when the show's being recorded anyway, before the Game Awards, and got a couple of very special guests. Patricia Somerset, of course, who was the voice of Zelda and Breath of the Wild Game of the Year last year at the Game Awards and so many other awards. She's going to talk to us about not just her work, but give her predictions on the Game Awards tonight. And then there's also a voice that you're going to be very familiar with from this show, Victoria Atkin, voice of Evie Fry in Assassin's Creed, and she's got Thor and Fortnite as well, and so many other great games. Not only going to talk to her about what she's been up to, but get her predictions on the Game Awards as well. And if you're listening to this before the Game Awards, you can tweet us your predictions at Down and Nerdy 757. Love to see those. And if you're listening to this after the Game Awards, you can listen to it and hear our predictions and find out what goofballs we were or find out that we were dead on. Either way, thank you so much for joining me this week. But we still have some other stuff to get to. How about some comics? A couple of big ones. What we're reading is up next on the Down and Nerdy podcast. Hi, this is writer Mark Miller, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Whether you just love those physical copies coming out of that long box, or you're a digital person like reading on the laptop or the tablet, whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading and a couple of really good ones this week. Let's start off with Image Comics and, I guess, Netflix. Prodigy number 1, written by Mark Miller. I know it looks like Millar. He says it's Miller, so we'll go with Miller. Rafa Albuquerque on the art. Marcel Maiolo on the colors, and Peter Doherty. On the letters. Gonna roll through these quickly because I think that, I mean, it's a couple of really good ones. It follows a man named Edison Crane, who we learn really quickly that can learn anything faster than anyone. I mean, there's proof of that right at the beginning of this issue when he was younger. I don't wanna spoil anything, but I mean, it's pretty epic. Let's just put it that way. And, and it's such a badass moment, too. Now, he also has a confidence level. It seems like it really can't be shaken. Again, we see something that he does when he's younger that my jaw hit the floor, and I can only imagine how I would have reacted 
walking into that scenario. So, I mean, that was, you want to talk about an attention in a book, a book that's going to grab it, grab your attention right away. That certainly did. Wait till you read this and see it. Or if you've already read it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, it seems like he's always looking for his next challenge, though, especially when he's older. And we get to see him go through a whole bunch of different tasks in really short order that really shouldn't take that really should take longer. But for him, it's like five seconds. Now he takes a request and takes he takes requests and takes some really crazy risks too. And you see that a lot from geniuses, right? They'll do some crazy stuff just because they want to be challenged. Now, there's one case in particular that catches his attention just because of how strange this, the occurrences are that are going on. It's hard to dance around this without spoiling it, but I'm really going to try. Now, after coming to a conclusion about, or at least what I should say, yeah, coming to a conclusion that he gets a very surprised visit and he's kind of faced with the decision that will determine where the rest of the story really starts because a lot of this is an introduction to Edison Crane himself, but then you kind of go, okay, so here's where at least the first arc of this story is going to go based on this decision that he makes. Now, it really gives you a handle, though, this issue does, on who Edison Crane is and what he's capable of. And it's absolutely amazing. And what's crazy is is that, in a way, it's true to life. There could be someone that's just this quick of a study and that's this, just this good at pretty much everything. I mean, this is something that we could actually see. Now, a lot of this is based in fiction and a lot of the stuff that's happening around him is probably more fictional, or at least we think it is. But it, that's the crazy thing about a character like Edison Crane is that there could be someone that is just that quick of a study on everything. And it really does give the story... It, it does not give the story a foregone conclusion as far as the case that they're dealing with here. I don't see, I don't see this and know where it's going to go. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing for other books. Because there are certainly times where we're like... Oh, okay. So here's who's up to th- here's who's up to this. Here's what's eventually going to happen. You might not know the absolute conclusion, but you get the beats of what's going to happen in the next couple of issues. I have no beats with this one, and I think that that's really really great. And of course, speaking of great, you know Rafael Albuquerque's art is great as usual, and especially when these two team up like they did on Hawk. I mean, it's just another winner for me. It, spe- it seems especially strong though when Rafa's working with Mark. I I don't know why that is. Maybe, you know, they kind of bring out the best in each other. But this, this to me, is just another absolute home run. I could easily see this being a Netflix series or a series of movies. This is just uh, one of the best books I've read in a few months at least. I am so all in on Prodigy, and this is definitely something that this team should be proud of. I need more of it right this second. Speaking of something that's new and very, very different, how about Martian Manhunter? It's not a mini-series, it's a maxi-series, because we're going to get 12 issues out of it. The first issue, of course, written by Steve Orlando, Riley Rossimo on the art, Ivan Placencia doing the colors, and Darren Bennett on the letters. Now, identity itself is a really big part of the story, not just early on, I think, but but throughout the issue. When you get to see Jean in the present, and we get to even see a little bit of his past with his family on Mars. It's very, very interesting. Now, in the present day, he's a detective. Now, he hides his true self, of course, and uses his abilities to help him solve cases, while his partner has no idea what's going on. She, She's almost like, I won't say that she's the comic relief. She's more like the grumpy partner 
or the, you know, I don't want to say typical cop because I think that's unfair. But stereotypical as far as on TV anyway, cop. How about that? As far as as far as a gritty detective would go. Now he encounters something on Earth during a case that he doesn't expect. And it triggers a flashback in the story to his past. So we get to see him as a chief hunter on Mars and really see how kind of a brutal job it is. And you get to see a side of this Martian Manhunter character that I don't recall seeing before. Or maybe I just blocked it out. I don't know, but it's very, very different. And it will definitely shock some hardcore fans of the Martian Manhunter character. I think that that it will anyway. Now, we also see him with his family, and it appears that he's kind of having some, some troubles at home with his wife. He's been a little bit closed off. That much I can tell you about the story. There's something that she finds out that, that he wants, and maybe they're not on the same page there. I can tease you that as well. Now, kind of flash-forwarding after the flashback, the first issue kind of ends in the present in a very sudden event that will really, really change things between him and his partner going forward. And and I got to tell you, I really wish I could spoil this, but I do these spoiler-free reviews, so I can't. But it's a moment that, the let's just say this, the way it's presented, that final panel especially, that final page, it's a very different way to do something that's done a lot in comics and in entertainment and it was its sudden abruptness was really a breath of fresh air for me. So as I give props to Steve Orlando and the editors and the art team on exactly the way that they presented what they did at the end of this book. It just felt fresh and different, and that's something that's sorely needed in this genre. Now, this is definitely different from any other Martian Manhunter book that you've ever read. As a matter of fact, when I read this, and I'm not just saying this because there was a quote from Tom King at the top of the book. I really felt the same way about this as I did when I read the first issue of Mr. Miracle from Tom and Mitch Garretts. That's how I felt about it. I felt like this is so refreshingly different and deep and takes the character in a direction that's ballsy, but at the same time just kind of breathes new life into a story that, you know, maybe you wouldn't think Martian Manhunter could carry his own book or maybe you think it's crazy that he hasn't carried his own book already but to see the spin that Steve Orlando and the team have put on this is really really just next level amazing for me and Riley Rossimo was the perfect choice for artists on this book a colorist also Ivan deserves a huge amount of credit as well there's just so much going on with the tones in the present day also when we get to Mars there's so many vibrant colors all, all over the place they bring a couple of scenes in particular to life in great detail and that's Riley and Ivan working together and just such a great cohesive unit all across the board here this may be the best work by the way of Steve Orlando's to date I've liked plenty of Steve's stuff I've gotten to talk to Steve about it a couple of times off the air and on the air actually and I think that this is the best stuff that I've seen from Steve so far, and I've liked a lot of his stuff. So bravo to everyone involved in this one. Both comics this week are a pull for me and ones that you're going to want to read every week, and they might come out together every week. So even better, you know that week is just going to be an awesome new comic book day for you. For Martian Manhunter number one and Prodigy number one. That's going to do it for what we're reading. Up next, going to be able to drop some spoilers anyway for Night Flyers on Sci-Fi. Not going to talk about the whole series that we've seen so far. A couple of episodes at least. Up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, I'm Melanie Scrifano. I play Winona Earp, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
Humanity needs to be saved, but who will save them from themselves? We're going to be talking about Night Flyers from Sci-Fi. Kind of a spoiler-filled review, but because this show is being recorded before the show is actually completed airing several episodes, then I'm going to go ahead and talk about at least the first couple of episodes of the show anyway. If you're not familiar with it, it's based on the novella from George R.R. R. Martin. And yes, there was also a movie made by the same concept, but this one definitely being done a little bit different. Basically, here's the, the quick gist of what's going on here. Basically, the Earth is dying. Humanity is, is, is pretty much on death's door at this point. So a scientist named Carl DeBrandon, I guess that's the best way that you can describe him as a scientist, has a plan to go and talk to these aliens, the Vulcans who have advanced technology at their disposal that he feels like that they can use to help save their planet. Now, here's the kicker, though. They don't know how to communicate with them. They haven't really made first contact with them, and they have no idea how this meeting might work out. But he didn't secure the funding that he needed, but he did get a trip on the ship, the Night Flyer, to go and try and go into the void in space and talk to the Vulcran. And this is like a two-year-plus mission at this point. We might have the first episode that it's going to be a lot longer than that. And just in case, by the way, again, you didn't know, plenty of spoilers, at least for the first couple of episodes of Night Flyers, that are going to be ahead here. Now, he does take some people along with him. There's a Dr. Matheson, who's played, of course, by Gretchen Mole, who is the kind of, I'm not going to say the ship psychologist or anything like that, but she is sent to control the telepath that they have on the ship named Thale. They keep calling him an L1, very powerful telepath. And his function is going to be, they think that he's going to be able to telepathically communicate with these aliens, the Vulcran, and that he'll be able to speak their language. And that's how Dr. DeBrannon, excuse me, Carl DeBrannon's going to be able to convince them to help humanity sort of thing. So this seems like a great idea right off the bat, doesn't it? And then you have Melantha, who is basically genetically engineered to be in space travel. She has been bred for space travel the whole time. Then you have Lamy, who's kind of a next-level engineer because she can literally plug in and talk to the ship. And then here's the other one, the captain of the Night Flyer himself, Captain Eris. Now, we got to talk about the whole hologram thing at San Diego Comic-Con, and that is basically... The, the, the gist, the captain, is a hologram. On the ship, yes. So this is someone that does exist in real life. It's not just a hologram. But he chooses to stay in isolation and only appear as a hologram. So that's basically what's going on. Obviously, we get to see right off the bat a future shot of Rowan, who's kind of like the the xenologist. Is that, is, I think that's the right way. Or xenologist. Basically, the person that studies alien life. And excuse me for getting that wrong, if I did. But he's, he's, that's basically his function there, is to be the study of alien life. And we get to see him in a, in a future shot at the very beginning of the show, attacking, basically, Dr. Matheson and uh, assuming others on the ship because Matheson says there's loss of life before she ends up injuring Rowan and killing herself in the process. So we know how it's going to end for Dr. Matheson anyway. We just don't know how long that's going to take. And basically the warning is, don't let the ship land. Bad stuff's going on. You don't want this on Earth. It's going to be terrible. We still don't know what really happens with Rowan because Rowan's seemingly normal in the present timeline. That's the weird thing because I thought that Rowan was going to be a little bit nuts 
from the get-go. He's really not. If anything, he's more of a Jeff Goldblum type of character from Jurassic Jurassic Park, but maybe in a different sense. He is definitely a skeptic, whereas Jeff Goldblum's character wasn't necessarily a skeptic. He was more of a realist. But Rowan is a little bit of both, so that's the, that's the deal with Rowan. Now, what we get to see is a lot of strange occurrences that are happening on the ship. There, were, there was a malfunction right as they were getting ready to take off for the void. And this poor guy, Murphy... I don't know if you saw the first episode of this, but Murphy not only gets flung around in zero gravity when he's trying to save the ship at the very beginning, he also gets set on fire later on in the first episode. Now, he does get saved. We find that out in the second episode. He gets saved, but this Murphy dude, not working out well for him. So I'm not sure if he read the novella before he uh, signed up to play this part, but for this Murphy guy, not, not great for him. Not great for him at all. But the most intriguing character to me in this entire thing is the captain. Because, yeah, there's a whole bunch of interesting stuff going on, but you just know from the second this guy materializes in a room as the hologram that there is way more to him than meets the eye. And it seems to be catching the attention, by the way, of Melantha. And and Mel, I don't know, kind of has a pseudo-flirty type relationship with the captain going on, and she seems they seem equally fascinated with each other, and she seems to be the one, at least in the early going anyway, that's able to kind of draw the captain out a little bit. But basically, in the in the first couple of episodes anyway, they're trying to figure out how to handle this telepath, because they're starting to think that a lot of things that are going wrong on the ship are because of the telepath. And he has done a couple of things. He screwed with a couple of guards. And, I mean, his name is Thale. And he's, yeah, he's kind of a jerk. Quite frankly. And he's, you know, locked up for a reason. But you've got a couple of schools of thought. You've got the school of thought of those who think that, that Brandon is right and this is exactly how they're going to be able to communicate with the aliens and this is the only way this is going to work. And then you've got the ones that think he's crazy for bringing this kind of a dangerous person on the ship in the first place and that the mission's doomed because Thale is here. And he even got kind of like a release program for him where he gets to walk around this little, like, this little, the, this little garden section of the ship that they have, you know, where you can just kind of walk around in the grass and in nature a little bit and stuff like that. So he grants him access to that with, with Dr. Matheson there, of course, because it's kind of like his handler. But then they think that he's been involved in something very serious involving Melantha where she almost dies in, an, in, a, in a water pot or her oxygen gets cut off and Lamy has to go in there and save her at the last minute. She ends up living. So they, they kind of think it's Thale's fault. So when they try to capture him inside this garden, it does not go well at all. And and things just start going sideways and they decide to sedate him. And then he ends up somehow escaping. It's clear, it's clear to me anyway, even from the outside looking in, it's clear to me anyway that there's something more going on than the than the telepath on the ship. And that he might not be totally innocent, but he's definitely not the one totally involved in what's going on. And that's the frustrating thing here, because I can understand that people can be a little panicky and people can be a little bit ridiculous sometimes. But at the same time, it's like you guys can't imagine that this guy's responsible for all the stuff. Plus, they say a thousand times on the show that he can't talk to machines. Now, I know he could talk to the people that talk to the machines. And that's also brought up with Lamy and stuff like that. But then there's also that incident on the ship where Lamy sort of gets possessed and it's the whole get out, run, get out now, or she's possessed by something. Maybe the ship, maybe somebody that's controlling the ship. We don't really know at this particular point where it, but, but you're putting everything on this telepath guy and you realize that 
you know, from the get, you realize that they're supposed to be dangerous, but at the same time, it's like, shouldn't there be something else going on here? And then we find out in the second episode that, yeah, there is something going on here. Captain Eris admits it's like, yeah, something else going on in the ship. I was trying to handle it. I'm still trying to handle it. Just be patient with me. Everything's going to be fine. And But the one thing that you do get about this mission, which which was kind of dubbed a suicide mission from the beginning, right? That, that, that's that's kind of the... And you, you find out with DeBrannon, he's starting to see stuff on the ship now. He's hallucinating, or at least he, he might think that's the telepath. And he's starting to see his dead daughter everywhere. And he loses contact with his wife at one point. His little memory bank machine is starting to go screwy. And everybody's mind thinks they're kind of losing their minds. And that's the one beauty part about this show. As far as a psychological thriller slash horror goes, the psychological horror is definitely there. Because it definitely keeps your attention. There's not a whole lot of jump scares. But it is pretty creepy at times. Not all the time, but it's certainly pretty creepy at times, and there's certainly enough of the story to keep you interested. I'm not doing backflips over this, though, so far. I know I'm only a couple of episodes in here, or we're only talking about a couple of episodes, but I'm not 100% sold on, on the concept itself. It seems like it's going to take them quite a while to get where they're going, and you're kind of hoping that the mystery that's on the ship is going to be enough to keep you interested. And But, but it's also tough when... You revealed to me right at the beginning how certain things are going to go down. You know Dr. Matheson doesn't survive. You know that Rowan goes nuts. You might not know why, but you better keep it interesting up to that point because if you don't, then, I mean, you've already lost me because I already know how certain things are going to end. I don't Now, you, there's no way to know who all lives and who all survives, right? I mean, and who all dies. There's no way to know that. So I'm not saying that there's no interest there. But when you show me a big point like that, you've got to keep it interesting. Like they did in Krypton, okay? Krypton, you know Krypton explodes. I mean, there's, there was no, there's no secret about that. And, it's, and it doesn't get to that point for a while yet. At the, but at the same time, you're keeping it interesting. You give me enough of the story and the political intrigue and all the other things that they had going on in that show where I was locked in and interested in everything that was going on on Krypton. But with this, I'm interested, but I'm not locked in interested. And the way I, the reason I say that is, is, is that I'm interested to find out what's really going on on the ship. I'm interested to find out what the captain's real motives are. I'm interested to find out how they're going to deal with the telepath and if he's really interested in helping or if he's going to end up being part of the problem. But here's the thing. There's also some sort of tension, sexual tension between DeBrannon and Matheson. And, and I'm not sure, I'm, I'm not exactly sure where that's going to go. But it's pretty darn clear that they're awfully chummy. And they have not exactly told us why. And that's one, another frustrating thing, too. They, they hint that they've kind of worked together before. But even, like, DeBrannon's wife is clearly not happy that Matheson is on the ship. And there's clearly something going on there. So while it's not said, it's being said without being said that something happened between the two of them, or at least it, it's thought that it happened. They're not really opening that door, and I think that that's you got to fling that door open. You don't you don't have to like have something happen between them, but at least acknowledge it at this point because it's like it's a it's like the worst kept secret in the world at this point. Where where it's like guys, what are we doing? Come on. Let's just come out with this already. So uh, it's just I'm worried because I'm interested now, 
But then I feel like in the next episode, is am I going to be watching it while I'm kind of looking at my phone? And then at one point do I go, you know what, I've just lost interest. That's my worry is that they're not going to get to where they need to be quick enough and I'm going to lose interest. And, and that's why I think that the strategy that they're doing is interesting in that you're not going with a week-by-week type of thing where you're, you're going by a, here you can binge the whole first few episodes in one week. You can, you can binge the first four or five episodes or whatever. I think it's interesting that they're doing it like that because, first of all, it makes it bingeable. Not just, not just by going to sci-fi.com and watching it there, but by watching it week by, day by day as well throughout the week. So it gives you less of a chance to go, you know what? I forgot it was on, or you know what? I'm not interested. You know that it's going to be on again the next night, so maybe you go, well, I'm already in this far. I might as well just keep going. So I'm not sure that the confidence level is super high in Night Flyers, or they're just trying to get through this as quickly as they can and not have to take a holiday break as well. The timing just seemed interesting to me. I'm not sure that the commitment is there from sci-fi. I don't know anything behind the scenes. I just worry that they feel the same way that I do about it and that they're not sure that things are getting up to where they need to be quick enough, and that they feel like they need to put this out right away, otherwise everybody's going to lose interest. Or the exact opposite is true. They think people are going to love it so much that they're going to binge the hell out of it right away, and it's going to be so much buzz, it's going to just create a second season right away, kind of like what happened with The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, where, okay, we're right back on this because people have to have it now. So I'm still interested in fi- or in continuing, possibly finishing Night Flyer Season 1, but my caution bulb is definitely lit on this one. Interested to see what you think. That'll do it for my spoiler-filled review of the first couple of episodes of Night Flyers from Sci-Fi. Up next, do have some nerd news items to get to, and we'll deal with that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, I'm Simone Mythic from Marvel's Luke Cage, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. If you thought all the Marvel Netflix talk was over, think again, because it's time for nerd news. It's basically that story that will not go away after Daredevil was canceled following a spectacular third season. And basically, let's run down the latest now. First of all, Deadline's reporting that Daredevil, at the time of its cancellation, was the fourth most popular show on Netflix. Netflix doesn't really release any viewership data, but it was based on a whole bunch of metrics that the show was obviously talked about a lot, very well received, and made it its fourth best, fourth most popular show. Of course, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina was in there. You've also got Stranger Things, and and the other one escapes me at this particular moment. But I, there's also a report from Redef's Matthew Ball that Netflix wanted to shorten each of the episodes of these series to about six to eight episodes each, and Disney didn't want to do that, partially because it would have cut their revenue, would have kept the characters held up, so they're like, no, we'd rather do our own thing. So here's the deal. I've been talking about the whole shortening of the seasons for a while now. I always thought that that was a pretty good idea. I, I mean, there's definitely some filler episodes in all of these shows. I would say that Daredevil's probably immune to that, just because of how linear the storytelling was and how good it was from start to finish, I don't really feel like there were any missed moments there. So I, th- I think Daredevil's the one exception to this rule, but at the same time, even shortening that would have heightened it even a little bit more, knowing that they've got to get to where they need to be a little bit faster, I think would have made the pulse of that show even that much greater. That doesn't mean that they should have done it, 
but certainly I think would have worked. I think it worked in Iron Fist's favor. And when they shortened to 10 episodes, I think it was 10 episodes for that second season, I think that worked. Now, I know your argument's going to be, well, it didn't work for Defenders. Okay, maybe it didn't. But that definitely didn't need to be 13 episodes. So, I don't know. I think that I understand why Disney feels the way that they do. I certainly understand why Netflix feels the way that they do, and I'm kind of more on their side on this one. But again, you know, Disney's starting their own, doing their own thing. Like, you know, why do we want to tie up our properties with Netflix in the first place? Why would we help out a direct competitor? And that's always been my argument for this is, what's Marvel's motivation to assist a direct competitor for their streaming service? There really shouldn't be one. So again, the cancellation wasn't a surprise to me. But at the same time, the argument of, well, it keeps the characters held up. Well, there's a report that these characters aren't just going to move to Disney+. Plus. We have no idea. We just know this isn't the end for Daredevil. We just don't know in what. He's going to show up in Punisher, maybe. That's been another thing that's been talked about. I can't see him showing up in Jessica Jones, but I guess you can't really, you can't really rule out Nelson Murdoch and Paige representing Jessica Jones at some point because it seems like Jessica always needs a lawyer. Now, before you pipe in about the whole, well, you know, Marvel's going to control all these characters now, and maybe they'll just either start fresh or do their own thing. Well, seems clear, first of all, they're not going to do their own thing. But I've noticed this from the very beginning, and this is just an observation on my part, just based on what I've seen and what I, the vibe I've gotten and the things that just seem to be coming up in general, and that there seems to be a huge disconnect between Marvel TV and the Marvel movies, the MCU. Clearly, they want to do these Marvel limited series, Loki, Vision, Scarlet Witch and Vision, which they're going to be doing. We know there's going to be that Winter Soldier Falcon series, and I think that's wonderful. I don't understand why we can't just move at least a couple of these. I'm not saying you should do them all. Be selective, but I don't understand why this isn't an easy linear move for something like Daredevil. I think this is something that you could easily do. And it doesn't seem like that's what they want to do. It's almost they look like the MCU looks at Marvel TV and goes, look what you guys are doing and look what we're doing. Look at all the success that we've had. Look how difficult it's been for you. Why can't you do this? Why is it that you see me incapable of being as successful as we are? Unflappably successful in most cases. Well, we know that's not the case. But it seems like Marvel T- Marvel MCU sees TV as the little brother that they don't want to ask to come play with their friends when it's time to put a stickball team together. It just doesn't make sense that there isn't more cohesion there. And it's not just me that feels that way. I can tell you that right now. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense that they don't seem to want to play together. It seems like if something's good, it's good. And we know Daredevil, at least Daredevil, is good. And, I mean, I know that that's had its problems at certain points, too. We know Daredevil's good. It's an easy move here. I don't see why they're not doing anything about it. That also doesn't mean it won't suddenly happen. It could certainly end up happening. Doesn't feel that way, but it could end up happening. I don't know that you want to continue Iron Fist. Maybe you do a Daughters of the Dragon series. I don't think you need to remove continuity altogether, either. I think you could keep the place, the pieces in place that work. Replace the ones that don't, or just don't do certain things at all, and move on with your life. But to just see these go away, just because Marvel and Netflix 
don't want to do business together anymore and it doesn't make sense for them to do business anymore seems a little bit ridiculous to me and I hope that this somehow gets worked out. Speaking of something you might consider a little bit ridiculous and I wouldn't blame you if you do, another announcement of yet another DC character getting their own movie. This is one I happen to be happy about because I love the character. It's Zatanna. According to Deadline, that's just one more DC movie, solo movie that's in the works and yes, just like Oprah and her favorite things, everybody gets a movie at DC. There's no word on directors, story points, or anything like that. Nobody's confirming or denying this, and why should they? But it seems like the focus is definitely shifting towards the female heroes. Supergirl, we've heard that rumored. We know Batgirl, we've got the Birds of Prey movie coming up, the heavy focus on Harley Quinn. Now is Zatanna into the mix? I think this could also be a good way to introduce John Constantine. Let Zatanna take the lead here but also bring Constantine in at some point because I do think that that Justice League Dark Universe is untapped and could be and could really, really work for DC going forward. But again, I don't know that we want to do a whole connected thing either, so maybe just let these characters, again, stand on their own. I mean, she, she could certainly carry her own movie. Don't get me wrong. But you have to understand there's a risk anytime you're going with someone that's not a household name. And maybe you think that's critical of me based on what I said about the Blue Beetle movie last week, but... We also have a unique suit with a different skill set. And I definitely see more of a marketing possibility for Blue Beetle as far as toys and merchandise is concerned than I do with Zatanna. Because people may feel like they've seen the whole magician thing before. I'm not talking about comic book fans. I'm talking about the general movie going public, which I've said on this show a thousand times, is a huge component in the success and the moving forward of all of these movies that we love, we have to also rely on the general movie going public. If it was just comic book fans that went to go see Spider-Man, we wouldn't be getting all of these Spider-Man movies. I'm sorry, that is absolutely 100% the truth. You Comic book fans ourselves cannot sustain these movies. It has to be partially the general movie going public that has at least a faint interest in these movies enough to go to the box office, plunk down however much money it is to go see a movie where you are, and go see it at least once, if not more than once. We as a fandom are huge, have a huge voice, and are a 75% of the reason that we're getting any of this stuff in the first place. But we cannot sustain this on our own. We need these to be popular enough so the general movie-going public, even if they have no idea what's going on, will say, hey... This seemed to be pretty popular. I'm going to go see this. Or at least, hey, this looks good. I think I'm going to go see this because that's what they're doing with the Marvel movies. That's exactly what they're doing. They're seeing that Marvel logo and going, oh, well, the Marvel Marvel movies make so much money. They must be good. I'm going to go see that. It's that kind of thing that you kind of want. While that can also create dangerous things and some sloppy storytelling, you need these movies to make money and be popular So we continue to get them, and that's why we need to rely on the general movie going public. And if you put a magician out there, and there's much more to Zatanna than that. I totally understand that because I love the character. I really, really do. I hope that this works out. I can't wait for a Zatanna movie if that's going to happen. But at the same time, if you present another magician movie, and you don't give it a unique spin, or you don't cast it right, then people are going to go, eh, so what? You know, make money the first week, and then after that, not so much, or it'll just bomb entirely. That's why you need to be careful when you do this. I'm not saying that it won't work out, 
but it needs to be done very, very carefully. I love the fact that they want to focus on the female heroes because DC has a ton of great ones, and I think that that's something that could take them very, very far in the future. But tread lightly and make sure if you're doing this, you have a plan. It doesn't need to be a connected universe, but make sure you have a plan to make these solo franchises successful. And certainly seems more and more like that's what they're doing. Speaking of the whole Marvel and DC thing, this is something that I wanted to bring up because I feel like it's important in this particular discussion. David F. Sandberg took to Instagram recently after the whole, you know, Captain Marvel trailer came out and people are like, well, the original Captain Marvel talking about Shazam and that whole thing got brought up again. So the director of the Shazam movie posted a picture of a comic on Instagram. Yes, it's got foreign writing on it. I'm sure you've seen it. And it's you've got Spider-Man on the cover and Doctor Doom and Superman. And then you're like, okay, here is the post that he read. I'm going to read this word for word for you in case you didn't get a chance to see it on Instagram. He's at Pony Smasher on Instagram, by the way, if you want to follow David F. Sandberg. Now, here is the direct quote that he had from that Instagram post. This was one of my favorite comic books I owned as a kid. Back then, I didn't know what Marvel or DC was. I just knew that I loved all of these superheroes. This seriousness of the Marvel the DC slash Marvel rivalry is so goddamn stupid. I hope that all superhero movies do fantastically well. Why would you ever wish for a movie to be bad or to fail? More good movies is a win for everyone. This interruption in trolling is brought to you by Disappointment in Humanity. Now back to our regular scheduled programming. If I wasn't holding a microphone in my hand right now, I would be clapping for this man. Because this is something I've been trying to say forever and I know that there are plenty of other fans that have also been talking about this forever and if you are one of the fans on the other side of this stop it I've said this a thousand times we've got to stop this rivalry pretty soon the bubble won't necessarily burst but the interest is going to wane a little bit in these superhero movies. We might already be on the verge of that anyway. So we need to support projects that deserve our support. I'm not saying you should support absolutely everything if it's garbage once it comes out. Before it comes out, stop the trailer bashing. Stop worrying about whether a woman is smiling in the 15 scenes or whatever it is that you get to see in a trailer or however many was in that trailer. I'm not counting. If you want to count them, you've got time for that. Please tweet me. Let me know how many scenes were in the Captain Marvel trailer. I don't care about the trailers. I really don't. I'm sorry to the movie studios that put these together and put them out. And I'm sorry to anyone that has to work on these trailers. I understand why they're a vital part of what we do. And I do love watching trailers. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I don't like trailers. I should make that clear. What I'm saying is, they are not the be-all, end-all of whether or not I'm going to see a movie. Odds are I'm going to see these movies because I love these characters, and I want to hope that they are as good as I want them to be. It's not always going to work out that way. But I am not going to retroactively bash something based on an announcement or a trailer, even the casting to a certain extent. 
depending on, there are certain other factors that would make me bash casting that have nothing to do whether or not the movie is going to be good or not. So let's just get that out of the way right now. But the fact that there is so much retroactive bashing going on drives me insane. And this rivalry drives me insane. And, and this is why we can't have nice things. That's what I've been saying from the beginning. We can't not nitpick. We can't not have this rivalry. And we can't just enjoy the fact that we've got so many things that when I grew up, we did not have. My son is four years old and still does not really grasp how amazing of a world he's going to be living in right now with all of the stuff at his disposal that he gets to pick and choose from. Fandoms that I had to dig deep for. When I wanted to, I was a big Aquaman fan when I was growing up. Despite, you know, him constantly screwing up things up on Super Friends, I loved Aquaman. Everybody hated Aquaman. I never thought in a million years there would be an Aquaman movie that I'd be able to go see. I'm almost 40 years old. I had to wait almost 40 years of my life to finally get an Aquaman movie that looks like it's going to be great. I'm stoked for that. But we cannot stop bashing things left and right. Then eventually, if we don't stop, these things are going to start to go away. Because there's going to be too much hate out there for this. And someday, the studios are going to go, you know what? Uh, Let's focus on something else. And it's going to be garbage. It's going to be something that we don't want. And we're going to wish that we had this back. So we've got to stop doing this. And I'm glad that somebody that's a director for one of these huge movies decided to come out and speak out about this because it's absolutely something that needs to be done. Before we get to talking about the Game Awards, by the way, here's something we will not be seeing at the Game Awards, and it won't be a Superman game announcement because Rocksteady co-founder Sefton Hill tweeted out how he was looking forward to the Game Awards, and they are working hard on something, but spoiler, it's not a Superman game. Now... I'm not so totally surprised by this. I think that Superman is certainly a fine choice, and I think that it would be a beautiful game, and there are so many stories that need to be told here, but I understand why that's not what they're doing. But, man, it's been a bad year for Superman outside of the comics, hasn't it? Had some success in the comics. Certainly Action Comics 1000 was big here this year. Brian Michael Bendis joining the title. But, man, alive. The whole Henry Cavill thing goes down. Maybe things will work out for the Arrowverse, Elseworlds, Elseworlds crossover with Tyler Hoken as Superman. Maybe we'll finally find out that we're going to get a Superman TV series at some point. But man, 2018 has not been the year for Clark Kent and Superman has it. There's been a lot of bad news. So we're not getting a Superman game. Think about it, though. I mean, it could be a Justice League title. They could certainly do that. I'm thinking, though, a Wonder Woman game would be great. I think the timing's right, but Flash. Think about a Flash game for a second. I want you to think about Spider-Man and how popular that game was and how people were enjoying just swinging around New York and solving crimes, doing all these side missions. Imagine the same exact thing with the Flash, running all over Central City, solving crimes, having to do with a huge rogues gallery too, by the way, which Spider-Man also has. There are so many different ways you could go with a Flash game. I think that is the perfect choice for Rocksteady to do should they decide to stop doing Batman games and should this not be another Batman game that's going to be coming. A Flash game from scratch I think would be absolutely amazing. 
And I think that that's my suggestion should they decide to take it. But since we're talking about games, let's do that. Up next, we'll talk to Patricia Somerset and Victoria Atkin about the Game Awards on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's Journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's Journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is Julie Nathanson from Far Cry 5, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You might have heard about a little something called the Game Awards that are going to be happening on Thursday, December the 6th. And someone who was actually a big part of uh, what happened last year at the Game Awards joining me right now, the voice of Zelda herself from Breath of the Wild and, well, so much more stuff, too. It's Patricia Somerset. Patricia, how you doing? Hi, great, great. How are you doing? <laughs> doing really well. Like I said, you were a huge part of last year's Game of the Year winner, Breath of the Wild, and I know that that voicing Zelda was a big deal for you. Now, what was that moment like when you heard that it won Game of the Year? Oh man, I mean, well, it's just funny because uh, Zelda. I mean, it's now won I think close to two hundred Game Game of the Year awards around Easy. the world, um, and so it is. You know, it's the unequ- unequivocal um, winner there for the year. But but the thing is, the Game Awards are definitely one of the the biggest, most prevalent award systems that they have. And I was in attendance, so it was it was so much fun to be in the audience and wait for that, and then get the big announcement. Um, yeah, it was uproarious. <laughs> also, what happened during that evening, which was really fun, was um, they announced the the DLC, the Champions Ballad, right, right. which was a complete surprise. None of us knew when that was going to be coming out. So. Um, it was also in person witnessing that too. So there was a lot of hype. It was really fun. <laughs> so now that you've kind of had time to process playing the character, was there something that you learned about Zelda during the process that you kind of didn't realize going in? Oh gosh. I mean, yeah, there's, there's so many things about what the journey has been from, I mean, it's been a year and a half now that I've been traveling the world and meeting fans. And, you know, at one point we re-recorded and did the DLC. And um, I, what do I learn about Zelda? I mean, she's she's a part of me now in a way that she was sort of sitting next to me at one point, and now I'm just um, I've kind of taken on the the role of you know representing her, um, and I it, it's a comfortable one. It's nice, and I it's just been such a really big gift because it's led me to so many adventures and so much travel and um, meeting like hearing a lot of other people's amazing stories. I feel like there's something in the spirit of the, this Nintendo character that um, is very inspiring for me. 
Definitely. Mm-hmm. Now let's turn our attention to this year's awards themselves. You know that I'm sure you're aware that Rainbow Six Siege nominated again for Best Ongoing Game this year. So I've got to ask, Patricia, I mean, I'm sure that Ash can't pick against her own team, but do you, th- do you feel like <laughs> the game can win over some pretty stiff competition this year? Oh, that's a tough question. You know, it's interesting. I looked down on the um, the sort of blog that Jeff Keeley had put out. He's the, the creator of the Game Awards, and he 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 put out this big question like, who do you think is going to win? Who would you like to see win? And the way that people were responding, and again, you can never tell online right, because it's, right, it's kind of all over the map, and usually the people who are most vocal are not not even necessarily the mass majority of what people are thinking, but um, it was it was kind of all over the map, the answers were as well. So I, I was sort of curious. I was like, Fortnite has a really good chance. Yep. Rainbow Six would be, I want kind of, I want to say more of an underdog in a way, but it's just, I mean, they've just hit 35 million over the, over the summer and they just, they continue to develop and grow and release new seasons that are, that are doing well. Um, they just had a huge esports event in Rio de Janeiro. Who knows? Um, I mean, I hope so. I, I don't like to get my hopes up for those things, but and also, I mean, the other the other games are pretty amazing, and I have friends who all voice things in those other games. So either way, it's going to be celebration. But man, I would love to see Rainbow Six come out on top. Of course. Speaking of friends, uh, that's a great transition to my next question, actually, because I love the fact that voice actors and actresses are actually having their own category this year for best performance. I mean, you've got Melisanthi Mahout, who's Cassandra in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. You've also got the amazing Yuri Lowenthal for Spider Man. There's a ton more as well. So talk about the talent just in that. Category category alone and could you even possibly pick one from these <laughs> oh man um so it's funny i don't actually know either of those guys personally um they are wicked talented all of them um they deserve to be there in every way and i know that um i mean i i'm a little partial to assassin's creed of odyssey course, just of winning winning a lot of categories um i i love i mean also because I'm part of the series with two assassins, but and then my dear friend Victoria Atkin is also part of that series and she's going to be attending the Game Awards with me. But um, just just the amount of like really quality stuff that they put out in the last two years with their last two Origins and Odyssey. Um, I, I just I'm, I'm really pumped for the Assassin's Creed series right now. And also I love that she's, eh, you know, she's the only female there on that there list. There you go. This year. Yep, yep. Yeah, I, I said it. You know, I would really like to see her represent. Um, in that way, she already is, of course, but I don't know. That's a hard one too, because those categories, it's just it, based on somebody's opinion, it could be one or the other, and they would all be very great choices. But how yeah, happy you know, are you yeah. that it's that it's actually getting recognized? Because it just seems like the, when you talk about games, and and I've always been a big proponent proponent of of you all and the voice actors and saying that you know that's a huge part of a game. What's it like to to finally be able to get that recognition in like an awards type aspect, or is that kind of just not important? Well, it is important. Um, it, it is and it isn't. Um, like, I mean, nowadays, these things with promotion and the way that the the world is set up, it makes sense that these things would get actually noticed. I, I'm I'm very pleased that it's getting noticed. I mean, it's and also, I mean, you've got all the stuff with, um, you know, unions and um, fight, fighting for actors rights in video games as the as the industry grows mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. rapidly. And so the recognition of the voice talent of all the talent, but the voice talent's contribution to that is really important. And also I I think fans enjoy that too, because we, we are the sort of cherry on the top of the storytelling, sometimes integrated very much into the process. I mean it, yeah, I, of course, of course I love to see that represented. Um, 
it's not why we do it. Uh, of we're, course, we're right. actors first and foremost. But yeah, it's great. And they did they did do that award last year, and it was um, uh, Melinda Jorgensen. Um, she won that last year, and she's been. I I follow her on Instagram and met her, and she's just so awesome. And she's been spending the year going around and meeting people. And um, Hellblade: Senu Sacrifice. That was the, mm. the game that she won for. And um, I don't know. I, I love to see what people actually do with a platform. Uh, her Melina um, as well, just like she's one one of many examples of what voice actors can can do with that platform and how they can sort of extend the favor and give back once they once they get an award like that. Absolutely. Yeah, so power to it, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. We're talking to P- Patricia Somerset, who, of course, is the voice of Zelda in Breath of the Wild. Of course, she's been in Rainbow Six Siege, a couple of Assassin's Creed games, and a ton more. Now, I know that also, Patricia, music's a big part of your life as well. So how important do you feel like music or the score is in a successful storytelling of a game? And you know they've got the category for best sound, so who do you think wins that one? Oh, God, I have to look back at the nominees. I haven't actually I got them. I got them for you. Okay, here we go. You got Celeste, God of War. Uh You've got Spider-Man, a game whose name I can't pronounce the beginning of, but Revenant Kingdom is the second part of it. Octopath Octopath Traveler and uh, Red Dead Two. I mean, yeah, all of them are going to be so different the way that they enhance the game. Very different. I was just, um, it's funny. I was looking at a little indie game soundtrack the other day and just really enjoying the fact that it um, it had. A cat and it was in space and the music score actually somehow was able to spin those both together in this really like light fluffy way um, and I was like that is a really great score it's re- obviously it's hugely important it's subtext it's it's drama it's story arc all the things that it's doing I can't I mean I, I'm probably gonna say that the epic music of God of War is gonna be <laughs> yeah <laughs> I would yeah. like to hear that done live yeah <laughs> But I, but I personally, honestly, I love scores, and I actually attend video game symphonies. I think I attended like seven last year. I just attended one last weekend. <laughs> I really love video game music, and I love seeing it performed live. So, I'm, yeah, I'm a big fan of um, of those things anyway. And yes, I am. I am a musician myself, and recording a second album. We're almost finished with the recording process, and we should be releasing our album in June. And it's called the band is called Somerset. So nice, so collection, nice. collection of eight. Yeah. Love it, I love it. <laughs> now there's there's a lot of rumors, Patricia, about about the game awards this year, and as many as ten new games can be announced at the awards. It almost seems like the winter version of E3. So yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, are there any games you hope to hear about? Or I know you couldn't like say which one it is, but can you tell us are you part of anything that's going to be announced on on the on the awards? You know what's so funny? I actually don't know. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm oh. not. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't actually be able to to know because I'm not part of that discussion. We are kept so much in the dark with most of those things. That's crazy. So it it could be like I might be like, whoa! <laughs> like, this is an I'm thing. in this. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite possible that that could happen. Yeah. I mean, is there um, something yeah. that you'd really like to see? I mean, I know there's a lot of rumors about maybe you know, like a new Mortal Kombat. Uh, Mortal Kombat would be a fun announcement. I would love that. Um, Okay, I know somebody who could potentially be in that game if it, if it were to be announced. If it were to be announced, I can, I'd hit up some of my friends and be like, "Hey, is that you?" So I'd probably get it. Yeah. <laughs> so is that for you? Is that you? And there's a spot for me, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No. I mean, would you? Would you? Would, is there a particular character you'd be like, "Yeah, if I could be in Mortal Kombat, I'd love to voice her." Oh my god, I would. Vo- this is the thing. I'm. I'm kind of the easiest person in the world. I would voice anything that came my way. Who's? Who are your favorites? Give me your, like, your I, I gotta tell you, ever since the first one, and maybe this is a cop out, I don't know. 
I've always been a fan of 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 um, Sonya for some mm-hmm. reason since the mm-hmm. very first game. Um, big Katana fan, love her. There's just so many good ones. <laughs> there are so many good ones. I guess Sonya, she's a real. I was going to say a real badass, like uh, American um, yeah, character, yeah. which is. Yeah, she would be a cool one to voice, of course. I'm trying to think. She's been done. Her iterations have been, there have been like five or six over the years, haven't there? There's been like a movie. There's been uh, a lot of Hollywood actors and screen actors as well have portrayed her as any of any of those, honestly. The kids will go on the Google machine and they'll look it up and then they'll, they'll tweet yeah. us and be like, I can't believe you guys didn't remember such and such. Okay, thanks. <laughs> thanks. That's very helpful. <laughs> I don't think we can you know, not do a conversation and not talk about the game of the year category, which is, I mean, there's, again, I feel like we keep saying this, but there's, there's so many good ones and it's a complete toss up as far yeah. as I'm concerned. I, I agree with you. Um, in that category, it's, it's hard to guess who would actually sort of come out front there. But as I've said earlier, and I, I sort of had my mind made and I do think it's really good in the running. I do wonder if Assassin's Creed Odyssey could potentially take that. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of hype around Red Dead. Um, well, of but, course, because it's just being talked about so much right now. Yeah. Yes, I suppose it's, it's just because it's so recent. But I don't know. You know, um, I know Assassin's Creed is doing really well right now, and it's gotten incredible reviews and stuff. So I've just got this. Now? You brought it up earlier. And I just get this feeling in my gut that it's going to be God of War. You think so? I've just it's well, just a feeling in my gut. It's my gut feeling, and I feel like it's going to be God of War because there's just so much love that was surrounding the game from, I mean, top to bottom, there was, I mean, I can't think of any negatives that were said about the game. Not that there's a ton for any of these, of these other ones. I know that everybody's been loving Spider-Man and Assassin's yes, Creed as well. That's so, true. I mean, partially because, I, I don't know, it just feels like that, that bringing Kratos back and just the grandeur of it all just seems like, although you can make the same argument for Red Dead being gone forever and coming back and having so much success, I guess, too. You could, but I don't know. You have this gut feeling about God of War, so we'll see. I like to trust my gut, Patricia. That's that's all. That's sometimes that's all I can go with, especially on stuff like this. <laughs> all right. Well, I believe you, even though I barely know you. Well, I, do you I know what? The, that your gut the fact really that you strong. have that much faith in me after 15 minutes is <laughs> awesome. I love that. No, got no problem with that at all. Okay, which one of these would you want to be a part of? If you could slide into maybe a DLC or something, which one of these do you go? Yeah, that that one would be awesome. Probably my, my fluffy brain, again, I'll say Origins, because um, um, I love working with Ubisoft and have worked with them a lot, and I love the working environment. Mm-hmm. God of War, absolutely. Um, but yeah, Spider-Man would be really fun. If there was some way to incorporate myself into a Spider-Man game, I would, um, obviously, I, it's just been such a big year for um, Spider-Man and Stan mm-hmm. Lee and you know, all that stuff. So I, um, yeah, th- that one holds a, a little special fluffy place in my heart at this very moment, but Obviously, yeah. I'd be I'd be so thrilled to be in any of those, of course. So. Correct me if I'm wrong. You haven't done any Marvel or DC games or animation yet, have you? No, I don't think I actually have. No, I haven't, funny enough. That's the untapped. Okay, I work with yeah. enough of these folks, and I know they listen occasionally, that if you guys are listening, come on. Like I said, <laughs> she's not going to say it. I'm going to say it. Come on. Come on. There's a ton here that she could work with. Obviously, I mean, Zelda, two assassins. Hello? People, you know, I don't know your agent's name, but, you know, give that person a call and let, let's get Patricia <laughs> in there because, I mean, Dean this Panero, is so man, much. And he's, he's a fantastic agent. There Dean you Panero. go. You guys yeah. have got the same IMDB thing that we all have. Just look up the name and just call. 
It's that simple. Just it's, call him. He's there. He's there and he's ready. <laughs> exactly. So. Do, do you have a couple of favorite characters, like maybe one or one or two from Marvel or DC that you'd be like, that would be a dream right there? Other than Wonder Woman's the obvious one. So is there anybody else that you can think of? Oh, come on. <laughs> I was just thinking Thor, female Thor. Oh, see? Um, there, yeah, there you go. Because yeah, I was like, yeah, female Thor. Um, um, I was just thinking about her, and I was actually thinking uh, Victoria Atkin, one of her new Fortnite characters. Her name is Thora. Nice little connection there. Yeah, probably female Thor would be an awesome one. Once again, I would I would look at a comic book, and I'd pick out all of them, and I could see myself doing all of them. Yes. That's how I, that's yes. how I roll. <laughs> yes. Hey, no problem with that. I'm sure you could, too. So that's perfectly reasonable as far as I'm concerned. You brought up Victoria. We'll be talking to her in a few minutes, actually. Now, oh, fantastic. Now, I know that you worked with her on, on Syndicate. You guys actually worked together on that game. So I got, I got to wonder, have you guys ever had the discussion about, you know, who the better assassin is? Oh, um, Galena or Evie? Yeah. Well, we've had, we've more had discussions like who would win in a fight if it would be like, I don't know, Zelda or Evie or something like Ooh, that. Oh, that's, that's even done. better. Let's talk about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say in terms of Galena or Evie, Mm, better assassin well first of all they they exist in different times because well, of course, Galena yes, is, of course. Is modern day but um and she is a little crazy a little cray cray galena uh a little icy eva's got a lot more playtime than her on the actual series because eva's the playable character of course, yeah. so i'd have to go with just that alone um i'd, I'd say evie's pretty pretty damn awesome Galena's got her things, but I would I would go with Evie. I would I would cop out and go with Evie. But it's hard it's hard for me to go against Evie too, only because yeah yeah. yeah. But yeah. in terms of Zelda and Evie, I would go with Zelda. I would yes. say Zelda has Victoria. magical powers, and that's um, I'm going to go with Zelda. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I to me that's a no brainer. But I'm sure that Victoria might make a little bit of an argument with that. I'll ask her about it a little bit later. I <laughs> know what she says. Now you you kind of you kind of teased a, a couple of things that you may or may not be involved in what can you tell us that you are working on right now or that you might have coming up Ooh, what can i say about anything that i'm working on i am doing full performance capture for a video game right now and i cannot say a dang thing about it I know uh, <laughs> but i'm excited because i believe that that will come out in 2019 um and then there are some other smaller things uh no that's not that's not true there's one one big thing that i've got a smaller part in that's a really exciting game that should be coming out either 2019 or 2020. Oh, uh, Spearhead Games, which is this beautiful little RPG indie game that's um, already been released. It's called Omen Sight. Um, that's going to be coming out on the Switch in December. So I'm Ooh. excited about that. I played some kind of two lead roles in that, an older woman character and um, uh, a warrior named Draga, who's a, a cat. Um, and they are, yeah, so that would be December 6th and then December 13th when it's, when it's actually available on the Switch, but you can pre-order on December 6th. So I'm nice. super pumped for that little like indie game that could. Their first game actually won a bunch of awards in Canada, Story, Path of Destinies. Um, so this one is, is getting good reviews too. So that's something. Uh, yeah, I like that. I like to see. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's not a, yeah, I've got a bunch of stuff, but I can't tell you about any of it. Thanks. That's a, so yeah, you got you got something in there. That's awesome. As a matter of fact, while, before you guys even watch the Game of Awards, which is the Thursday, December the sixth, you can pre-order that game that Patricia just talked about and watch the Game Awards at thegameawards.com. If you want to find out more about Patricia, what's your website again? My website is patriciasomerset.com. So and then just the the Somerset spelling is summer like the season and then S E double T. Yeah, and then I'm on Instagram, yeah, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, with uh, Somerset underscore. 
and I'm verified on all those accounts. So don't go to another one. Go to the right one. <laughs> you should be able to find it pretty easy. So. Extra tea because it's extra special, especially yeah, when you've right. got cool. Patricia Somerset with us this week. Thank you so much for hanging out and talking about the Game Awards and stuff. Uh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Continuing with our coverage of the Game Awards 2018, it's really hard to talk about video games on this show without having this woman on. She's so amazing. You might remember her as the voice of Evie Fry on Assassin's Creed. Welcome back to the show, Victoria Atkin. Victoria, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. I'm happy to be back. Now, it's been another great year for you, honestly. I mean, especially with you recently joining the crazy world of Fortnite. So yeah, what's it been like since you made that announcement? And now, uh, what's your favorite thing about Thora while we're at it? Uh, Thora is just, uh, I don't know, a complete badass. It's really, it's really fun to join Fortnite. And um, my goals in voiceover are also in animation. And I feel like this game is a, a fantastic hybrid between video games and animation and it's really a really it's just a really fun franchise to be part of. And if that's not enough, Victoria, did did I see this right? Did I did we find out that Evie Fry's actually a part of Assassin's <laughs> Creed Odyssey? What happened there? Yeah, I don't know. She's a nice little um token uh, in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. She is going to be well, she is a lieutenant on the ship that you can achieve and use her to help you on your mission. So somehow she has come from the Victorian period to help you. But, That's um, crazy. I'm, it it I'm always comes back. It always <laughs> comes back to Evie for you, doesn't it? Yeah. So I, I'm really happy that she's part of that, and it must be, I must be her popularity that Ubisoft has put her as an Easter egg in this game, which makes me very, very happy that she's still extremely well received. Absolutely. Now I know it's been a while, but I still miss Fina, and wish we could have oh, gotten Fina and extinct. I wish know. we could have gotten more of that. So I, I was thinking the other day, and this hit me when, when we were going back and forth trying to set this up. I was like, mm-hmm. you know, Victoria's a writer. Have you ever thought <laughs> about kind of continuing the story yourself? Well, that's true. Well, Aaron Johnson, who he wrote it with Orson Scott Card, I mean, their ideas for that, that thing were off the, off the scale. I mean, maybe a spinoff, but I'm not sure. It's I, I definitely am looking to write and produce my own IPs and I have a couple of ideas that are in the works one with Jeffrey Harlem who is who was a writer on Assassin's Creed Syndicate him and I have been teaming up for the last couple of years Ooh. on a project that we're really trying to get made um, which would be a live action female TV show um, so I, I do have I do have ideas and things out there writing another show i don't know i i I mean it would be it would be something that i would like to to do i've written a book but writing a tv show is a whole other beast and there's so many incredible writers out there but i guess if i don't try how would i know i'm not sure there you go so yes um maybe you've sent me a challenge i like that i like that i've got the wheels (laughs) turning on this if nothing else you're thinking about it and that's all that really matters All right, let's let's dive in. We're talking about the Game Awards. Let's dive into that. And I figured, you know, since, you know, we talked about Fortnite, of mm-hmm. course, it's nominated for Best Multiplayer Game, a bunch of other stuff, too, but focusing on the Best Multiplayer Game thing. Now, yeah. you've been a part of World of Warcraft as well, yeah. so yeah. what do you think makes a good multiplayer game, and who do you think wins this year out of these nominees? I know it's probably going to be hard to pick against Fortnite. What do you think? Oh, man, what makes a good multiplayer game i think whenever i think about games i 
you have to have a good story and you have to have a good world. And if you've created those things, which both Fortnite and World of Warcraft have done in completely different ways, it's it becomes an immersive, obviously, experience for the the player. And there's so many different things to pique curiosity. I think World of Warcraft is very, I want to say, unique in its characters in many ways. And obviously, it's been a franchise for a very, very long time now. Um, so it has history on its side. But Fortnite, as we know, has, has completely blown up and has become something that I don't think Epic Games ever imagined it to to be as big and as popular. I mean, I don't think their hopes and dreams would have been as high right. as this has happened. But I think it deserves that. I think it's it's really fun and it's a beautiful escapism in this crazy world that we're living in at the moment. So... I don't know. I don't know because Call of Duty's in best multiplayer, yep. right? Black Ops 4 is in there. You've got Destiny 2. You've got Monster Hunter World and Sea of Thieves. Well, Destiny is also massive. Oh, I think it's definitely going to be between... I think Fortnite could take it. So, yeah, that's my pick. I mean, if we're scoring at home, that's my pick. I'm picking Fortnite all the way. Yeah, I think it could take it. I mean, Call of Duty is obviously an incredible franchise. So is Destiny. And I think everybody knows that and it's very well established. But I don't. I haven't played those two games. I don't know if they stand out from the rest of the other games. I just think the yeah. sheer popularity of Fortnite right now. Not that those other games aren't popular. The sheer popularity just it's it's everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. And so there's I everybody of every age playing it. Right. Exactly. I mean, so. it's not even a kids' game, you know, which I think originally everybody thought it might be. Right. It's everybody. So I'm gonna stick with my Fortnite friends. And go for that. I don't think that that's a bad call at all because I'm picking <laughs> the same thing. Okay, so, I mean, how can we not talk about a category that's kind of near and dear to your, your heart as well, and that's the best performance category yep. with your fellow voice talent? I mean, just looking at this, Victoria, there's there's mm. a ton of great t- talent here. I mean, you've got Christopher Judge as Kratos. You've got Melisanthi Mahout as Cassandra from Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Roger Cl- mm-hmm. Clark as Arthur Morgan in Red Dead 2. I mean, talk about the talent in this category. And if you can pick one, I know you don't like, I mean, I know your fellow yeah, friends. Yeah, it's <laughs> You don't want to pick, but you don't want to say. You know what? Actually, I don't know any of these people very well personally. So. Okay, good. So you can single <laughs> one of them out. Nobody will, it won't matter. Okay, good. Yeah, these aren't any of my near and dear colleagues i've worked with yet but i would hope to work with them all brian i actually met in zurich this year with his dear wife and um was absolutely fantastic and i didn't know about detroit detroit becoming human Mm. until i met them at zurich and they had lines around the block for wow (laughs) and i was thinking what is this looked it up and was just blown away I think they've done an incredible, incredible job and deserve all the all the credit that they're getting for that. Um, God of War is huge, as we know, and his performances, again, <laughs> these are all of these things are all of all of them are great. Um, Cassandra, I'm so happy that they brought another female character into the Assassin's Creed franchise. Mm-hmm. I'm all about that. And more and more and more, I want them to have a female game exclusively in the future. I think that, that would, would be, be awesome. I mean, they've done it in the comics. Why not, you know, do it in the game? Yeah, I think it's just going to be need to be a big brave leap from Ubisoft to 
to know that that works and and that formula can make the money and it is it is a male franchise but there's still there's still so many women that play that game and men love playing as a female assassin so i don't i don't think that that would so i'm glad that she's done that i i can't actually say that i've seen too much of her work yet from that red dead redemption everybody is talking about that Mm. And and uh, yesterday I've been working this week on the mocap stage with a load of the guys that did Spider Man and again as we know that's also been rated as an incredible game and his See, work as well. That's one I'm kind of singling out because I've met Yuri a couple times. Yeah, I know how passionate he is about this character, and I know yeah. how much he loved working on this game. So I it's hard for me to pick against Yuri, and he's he's so good anyway. I know that yeah. everybody in this category is going to be he's. So passionate about this, I, I'd kind of, I guess more than anything, I'd like to see him win because I know how much it would mean to him. Yeah, I don't know. I might go with you on that with him. I mean, but I, like, I really Detroit becoming human is. I, I, I don't know if the going against God of War and Assassin's Creed and Red Dead and Spider Man. And know. yet, Victoria, he's nominated for a reason for sure. So, yeah, you know, there's you can't you can't count that one out. I I can't disagree with you on that though. That that was a great performance. I can't disagree. Yeah. With that. I think it's going to be between Yuri, Brian, and maybe Christopher Judd. Judge, I yeah, don't know. I, I would I, like to see Mil- I, I would like to see her win for Cassandra, but I mean that's that's certainly possible. That could happen. I mean, cool. she also it. she's the only woman in there too. Yep, there's the, and then yeah. there's that, and then there's yeah. That. Who knows? I, I'll be excited to see the result of that. Absolutely. Now, another one that's really exciting, of course, is let's stick with the Assassin's Creed theme for a second because we've got mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed Odyssey also nominated for best action-adventure game, and I'm sure it's going to be hard to pick against the Assassin's Creed family, but again, look at look at it. We've got the only different one in this category, though, Victoria, that we haven't talked about yet, is Shadow of the Tomb Raider. All of that's, that one sneaks in there. Oh, man, yeah. I mean, you've still I've got God of War. I've been a Tomb Raider fan for my whole life. I know, Lara me too. Me was too. my was my first game I played as a kid. After Mario, obviously, but first, like, single-player Hmm. So let me see. I'm just looking up these the other ones that are. We got God of War, Marvel Spider Man. Is Red Dead in? Red Dead is also in there. Yeah. Sheesh. Yeah, I know. Okay, I would actually like, even though Evie's in Odyssey and I, I like that game. I would like Tomb Raider to win, but I think Red Dead might win. Yeah, just from see, the feedback that I've seen, I've heard in yeah. the industry from from colleagues that have played that game and and everybody uh, i mean for, i feel like people are addicted to it at the moment. <laughs> yeah i mean i know it hasn't been that long that the game's been out yeah. but I, I agree i think that i mean i don't think that this will win everything but i think this is one this is one that i think red dead redemption 2 is going to win just because of the sheer volume of the game too is is just insane to me yeah i think i think i'm going to go for that for that one just on predictions not on Am I? Of course, of course. <laughs> Loyalty yeah. lies. Yeah, we're not getting you in any trouble here, Victoria. That's for sure. That's, let's just wow, put that out there right now. So. I would like to work for all these franchises. Of and course. I think now I, I've begin. I've been actually beginning to work for a lot of different companies now, which is really nice this year. Nice. We'll get to that. We'll definitely get to that in just a <laughs> second. But you know, we can't. We can't not talk about game of the year. We got to round this out by talking about. Yep. Game of the year. All right, let's run them down. We got Assassin's Creed Odyssey again. We got Celeste, which is kind of an independent game. You've got God of War, Spider-Man, Monster Hunter World, which kind of snuck in there, and Red Dead 2 is in this one. So I've got my pick, but I want to hear what you think first. Game of the year, I think, is going to go Spider-Man. Really? 
Yeah. Wow. See, to me, it's hard to beat God of War here. Uh, really that's hard. That's true, but mm, not that Spider-Man yeah. wasn't great. Don't get me wrong, but it this this one's a tough one for me to not give to God of War. You're true. Yeah, you're right on that. I think it's also because it's been out for a while, right? It's been out for a while. It was such they they they. I'm not gonna say they reinvented the character of Kratos, but they really told a much different story this time. And and I just think that that matters. I think that what they created with this new God of War is just so epic. Not mm-hmm. and but they but they did such a wonderful job with Spider-Man and a lot of these other games as well. Yeah. But but just what they were able to do well, with this new God of War. Beautiful. Oh yeah, it does. It looks so beautiful. I think it would definitely be between God of War, Spider-Man and Red Dead. Yep, I agree. I agree. Not that, again, not that these other games aren't good, but no, the other, well, of course, they're all amazing to even get this this recognition and and they're all every all of these companies are doing so well and you know games are becoming this huge arena right the fact that there is game awards and right all this stuff is just it's madness really because it's becoming even bigger than like movies now i know it's certainly on that level and and i think uh, when i was talking to patricia patricia earlier she was talking about how Uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild's already won like 40 Game of the Year awards or something and various outlets. I'm like, there's been that many? Yeah. But there has. You know, that's that's the crazy yeah, thing. Yeah, all over the world. Now, I let's talk. Let's go back to what you've got going on for a second because you've kind of teased it a little bit here. And if, yeah. If anyone follows you on social media, the, you kind of seem to be teasing something else. So how much can you tell us about what you've got coming up, and could it be a part of something that's going to be announced at the Game Awards? You don't have to tell us what it is, but if is, mm. could we see something announced at the Game Awards? I don't think they're announcing that yet. I don't think they're announcing that yet. Um, that, what I'm doing on the mocap stage is, is pretty top. Top secret, yeah, I can't I can't say it, but I am, that's that's really all I can say. I'm working on a, it's a AAA game. That's something. You're giving us something, and that's yeah. all that matters. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Um, so yes, doing that, but this year has been really busy for voiceover and I have to thank my awesome agent Dean Panaro for that, but it's, um, yeah, Fortnite, I have one character, as we know, Thora, that is out there. I also have two new characters that I've recorded, but I haven't announced yet. So I will be, and I'm hoping I'll be able to announce them before Christmas. Nice. Really fun. One's already a skin in the game and the other one... I think is about to be a skin. So they're working on the artwork of that and putting my voice in for the save the world arm of it all. And I think that's going to be really different in the new year as well. Fortnite uh, save the world has got some big changes coming for 2019. So that's very exciting to be part of. And I'm very honored that Epic have given me these three fantastic female characters to, to work on. Very I like nice. working with those guys. A really great company. Um, so there is something that I can announce, and it's that I've been working with Microsoft on Crackdown Three. No. Yep. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so I am going to be doing a new British agent on that. So that's been really fun too. Um, and so they have that coming out, doing that, and um, oh, there's. I also did this really cool audio drama book that um i think it's on amazon and you, you download it in part um that's cool 
yeah, it's it's called Smoky Barrett, and it's this. It's really, I don't know. It must be like rated like eighteen or something. But it's a really cool immersive drama that a lot of my video game peers are involved in too, as all these different characters in this world. So when I can give more information and links and stuff like on my social media, I think that's going to be really a really cool thing for people to listen to. So there's that. And then this motion capture, which is so refreshing to get back on the mocap stage. I, I, be, I bet. Yeah, absolutely. I'm in my element doing that. Excellent. Now I might've, I might've started a little trouble talking to Patricia <laughs> earlier because okay. we were, we were talking about how, uh, who was the better assassin and who would win in a throwdown between Evie and, and Galena. And then she said, well, we've been talking about Victoria and I've been talking about Evie versus Zelda. So what, what's, <laughs> what do we do about that? I know. I need to put them in a in a fight off, like Street Fighter. I don't know. I love Zelda. <laughs> I love Zelda. I would love to be Zelda if, if Patricia wasn't doing such a good job. I don't know. I think they have very different skills, right? It's it's tough. I mean, it's hard to pick against Zelda, but that's my childhood them, talking. So not, yeah, I wouldn't want them to kill one of them off. Oh, absolutely not. No. So. Evie definitely got stealth mode going on. Yep. But I think Zelda's got like ability. <laughs> She's... Hard to combat and, that. And and history on her side. Um, I don't know who would win. Yeah, that, that's a difficult. That that is it is a difficult call. But you know, it's it's hard when your childhood screaming in your ear. How could you pick against Zelda? For me, <laughs> so I mean that's really tough. But I think that Evie would certainly give her a run for her money. If not, maybe be able to take I, her out. So I think if Evie had time to plan it, she would. Zelda would be done. That's the Batman in her right there. <laughs> That's the Batman and Evie right there. <laughs> if it was the spontaneous Zelda, that's just true. Appears, that's true. Then the throwing knives and the Fight Club would definitely come out. But yeah, that's that's a good point. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Now, but now, Victoria, before I let you go, what are you kind of yeah. looking most forward to at the Game Awards? Whether I mean, whether it's something you're a part of or not, what, what's something that you're looking forward to? You know what? With those type of awards, I just like being with all my peers and and seeing what this year has, you know, who has, whether people win or not, but who is being recognized for their work and and just, you know, seeing old friends and people that I've worked with all year um, in one place to just celebrate this awesome industry that we're all part of. Absolutely. Now, I know you have a website, but I, I kind of find that the best place to find out what's going on with you immediately is on your social media page. So why don't you go ahead and give out your social media stuff now, just in case people want to follow what you're yes, doing. Yes, social media is the best place. I think now I just have a platform for um, autographs and fan mail and stuff on my email. But yeah, Twitter is just at Victoria Atkin and Instagram is at Victoria Atkin. And I have a Facebook page, which I would love people to like, which is the Victoria Atkin. She's got so much great stuff on there, guys. If you don't follow her yet, she is definitely a great follow on social media. It is the wonderful Victoria Atkin. Thank you so much for once again coming on the show this Thank week. Thank you, James. It's always a pleasure to be on the Down and Nerdy podcast. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy podcast. Again, thanks to Patricia Somerset and Victoria Atkin for joining me this week to talk about their careers, the Game Awards, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Make sure you're watching the Game Awards, by the way on your favorite streaming provider, and, of course, thegameawards.com for more information as well. Get more info on us at downandnerdypodcast.com. Make sure you're following us on social media as well. Facebook.com slash downandnerdy and at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd or a gamer. 
So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.